Psalm 27. There's a photograph on the screen back here. This is a popular image of a lot of office complexes and a waiting area or doctor's offices or something like that. You've probably seen this image and it'll usually have a quote or something at the bottom of the image. But there's a story behind this image. Some Cecil was just asking. I wonder what the story is there. Well, let me tell you a little bit of the story. Um, this lighthouse is uh, Le Jumont. That's, we need our French speakers here. So I, I actually got online to figure out how to pronounce that. So, uh, but it's in the very northwestern, um, northwestern edge of France. So this is off the northwestern coast of France, off an island, actually about 300 meters off of an island, the farthest northwestern island of France. And it's on... A very uh, active sea lane, uh, heavily traveled sea lane. And it's considered, in an area that's considered to be extremely dangerous. And even by experienced sailors. Uh, it's off of a very rocky and rugged section of coastline. It has has uh, strong currents, huge waves, frequent violent storms. And so it's seen many shipwrecks over the centuries. Most famously... There was a passenger ship named the Drummond Castle that hit rocks and sank in just four minutes. And almost 250 uh, passengers and crew drowned. That was in 1896. Between 1888 and, eight, and 1904, there were 31 shipwrecks in that, um, in, right in the, this area. After the the big tragedy in 1896, there were plans to build a lighthouse in that area, but it took uh, over seven years to complete the construction of the lighthouse because the waters were so choppy. And they built this lighthouse on a rock in these tumultuous waters, and that's the lighthouse in the picture. Uh, again, you've seen, you've probably seen this photograph before, and. Uh, it's taken by a French photographer, uh, Jean Guichard. Also looked that one up. Um, but the, what what happened in the story behind the picture? It was December 1989, and and there was one of those infamous storms brewing in that area. And so he wanted he tried to hire a helicopter, and finally found somebody that would take him up in the air. And he was just going 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 out in the seas to take pictures of the just the currents and the the, the large waves and the tumultuous seas. And so he went out there. But they eventually made it out um, to uh, this lighthouse. And so he's taking taking photographs of this lighthouse. And these massive 100-foot waves are just crashing against uh, this lighthouse. And so the helicopter's kind of hovering there. And he didn't know, but there was a man inside of the lighthouse... Uh, Theodore Malgorn, and he heard the rotors of the helicopter, and he thought, "Ah, they're coming to rescue me, and you can get me out of here." Because the 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 waves were so big that the windows were blown out of the bottom floors of the lighthouse. All the furniture furniture of the of the, in the, in the first floor of the lighthouse was washed out. Door was ripped off, and so I mean, it was really battering uh, this lighthouse. And so he goes outside to see what's going on. And at the very moment he steps outside to look and see what's happening, uh, this towering wave rises behind the lighthouse and behind Theodore Malgorn. And Guichard takes this, those world-famous series of images. And, and so you see 
the strength of this way. But you, that first picture, you can see him standing in that doorway. Um, and so, uh, if you want to know what happened to him, <laughs> you'll have to wait for the end of the, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Uh, but I say that I've thought of this image as I was as I was preparing for tonight. Um, uh, have you ever felt like Theodore Malgorn standing in the doorway of that photograph? Like there's this wall of water that's just about to crash on your head. The circumstances of life are just about to take you out. Maybe you feel like that even tonight. Uh, maybe you're having trouble sleeping. Maybe you're having trouble eating. Maybe uh, you're having trouble paying attention even to what I'm saying tonight just because something is so, so looming so large in your life that is so threatening and it's just, you're trembling, you're afraid. And if you're not there tonight, maybe, maybe you can just kind of see off in the distance this wave mounting and these storm clouds darkening and Things just seem, and so there's this anticipation, there's this heaviness, something, it looks like things are getting bad in my life, and things, stuff's happening, and so you're, you're, you're afraid, and, um, and so this is where Psalm 27 enters, um, shelter in the storm, there's, I meant to bring a copy of it, I got with the neighbor, I didn't, I was scrambling just to get here. Uh, but uh, Paul Tripp has a great little book called A Shelter in the Storm. It's these meditations on Psalm 27. Just very, very helpful. So if I'm, what I'm describing is you or in it, and if it's not you now, it's, it's going to be. We're all, we all face these times, but I, I really encourage you to, 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 to read that and, and to access that. But this psalm is not written in the ivory tower. It's written more like in this, this kind of tower, a storm-battered lighthouse as it were david knew about wind and he knew about waves verse 2 of psalm 27 he had evildoers coming at him to devour his flesh verse 12 there there are these enemies breathing out violence against him verse 3 i mean there's this army this picture of an army encamped against him people who want nothing less than david's head removed from his shoulders and so this is this is and so he says in, in verse 3, though, David could say, though, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And, and so there's this confidence in the face of the storm, a shelter in the storm. And so the question for us tonight, and I think this is where it comes to us, is not will there, will storms come into my life or will there ever be circumstances that make me afraid, but but the question is, where will I turn when those storms come? Uh, to whom will I trust when, when I'm? Whom will I turn? To whom will I turn when I'm afraid? Um, and so that's what we we'll look. Psalm 27 answers those questions. So the big idea tonight is simply: when the storms of life are raging, we seek shelter in the Lord. Seek shelter in the Lord. Now I can hear the internal grumblings already. That sounds a little trite. A little simplistic. Just seek shelter in, in the Lord. Um, you don't understand how complex my trials are. It's not that easy. It's not that simple. But what David is saying here is not, it's not easy. It's not simplistic. It's, 
He's not giving a a three-step formula to finding shelter in God. That's not what he's doing. He's talking about a whole orientation of life that's focused on God. And and, and this total way of life that clings to the Lord with this kind of naked faith that in the face of desperately overwhelming circumstances, there's there's, there's no other source of help. He clings to the Lord. That's what we're talking about. And so, and the structure of the psalm, as we'll see, it fits that, it fits that theme. That this is one of those psalms where the liberal critics of of Scripture, they they, they think that this couldn't have been one psalm. It had to have been two psalms because of, it seems disjointed and it's some repetition and there's a difference in tone between verses 1 to 6 and 7 to 12. But we, we, we look at what's going on in the psalm and, and what's being described and, and all of that can be explained by the just the life-threatening circumstances that David was facing. I mean, this is how it is for us when something big and scary comes into our lives, when the storms come it's not that it just goes away the first time we tell it to get lost, the fear and the, and the, and the anxiety. You can, you can bar the door, but then it's going to find a window and it's going to come back in. And so that's kind of what's happening in Psalm 27. David is confident in verse 3 and yet he's anxious again in verse 7. And so he has to redirect his focus to the Lord. He has to reaffirm his confidence and his faith and, and the goodness of God and reminding himself to wait on the Lord. It's not just, you know, one, two, three. It's one, two steps forward, one step back. It's just this, it's a struggle to, to continue to seek shelter in God. And this is how it is, even, and for us too. So, so let's, let's look at this. Let's walk through this psalm and then we'll, we'll let it form, uh, inform us how to pray for one another in, uh, in a moment. So when the storms of life are raging, the first thing that we see in verses 1 to 3 is seek shelter in the Lord by confessing your confidence in Him alone. So it begins, Psalm 27, verse 1. Let's go ahead and read the psalm in its entirety. Of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh... My adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. 
Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. What we don't obviously have time to unpack each line of this psalm. And so we're going to just kind of see the movement of the psalm. And again, see what what it means to begin to take shelter in the Lord in the storms of life. First thing we do, we seek shelter in the Lord again by confessing our confidence in Him alone. Verse 1 again, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evil doers assail me to eat of my flesh. Now, it's not talking about cannibalism there. He's talking about, most likely, slander, accusations that are brought against David. And so it's a graphic word picture. That you have these ferocious predators who are just eating up and and chewing up and tearing apart their prey. And so this is, this is serious hurt and pain. And, and it is that way with, I know we have our little sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's, that's not it. I mean, words hurt. They kill. And so here, David's describing this. These, those, my enemies, they, they just assail me. They eat up my flesh. My adversaries and my foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. So what David's doing, though, is in, in the midst of this raging storm, he's confessing to God, my confidence is in you and you alone. You alone are, and, and notice how personal it is. It's, it's my light, my salvation, my stronghold. These aren't just kind of abstract theoretical statements of a fact these are personal deep-rooted convictions the lord is my light he's my this is the only direct reference in the old testament uh, of of god being light uh, but you think of all that light means it in, in the old testament understanding it light it, it gives life Light provides understanding and knowledge. Light dispels fear. These are all of the ways light is spoken of in, in the Old Testament. And so he's saying, the Lord himself is my light. And he's my salvation, my deliverance. He's my stronghold, my shelter, my rock. And he goes on with these, these confessions. They will stumble, but my heart will not fear. I will be confident. That confident is the same word we found in Psalms 25 and 26. Uh, of, of trust. And I don't know why it's translated differently in Psalm 27. It's the same exact word. But he says, my heart will trust in you, Lord. And so, and so this is David. David is a, he's not a wimp. He's a mighty warrior. I mean, he's, he, he went one on one with Goliath and, and, and won. He, he defeated, um, he, I mean, he defended his dad's flock by killing a lion and a bear in his youth. He, he was a trained warrior. He possibly has other fighters around him. If this is, if this was written before he was king, this is describing when Saul was was pursuing him, and he had a group of of, of, of fighters around him. If it's if it's later, if it's Absalom's rebellion, we're not told the circumstance of the psalm, but he has he would have had an army of tough, seasoned warriors around his side. But he he doesn't trust his own strength. He doesn't trust in his army. He says, "The Lord alone." He's my confidence. He's, he's my deliverance. That's it. He's hopeless without God's inter- intervention. And he knows it. And he tells the Lord that. And so I just say when, when the, the trials come, when the hardships form, and when the waves grow large and the clouds get dark, 
This is where we begin. We start, we affirm what we know to be true. Is that the Lord, the Lord alone is my light. He alone is my salvation. He alone is my stronghold. You say that to him. And no matter what happens to me, Lord, I am, my confidence is in you alone. That's, that's, that's not just kind of verbal trickery. You're not just kind of, um, it's not a mind game. That's, that's a, you're saying those words to even inform your heart of what's true about God. So those need to be deep-rooted convictions and they need to come out. So that's the first thing. We confess our confidence in the Lord alone. Second, seek shelter in the Lord just by gazing at God. Gazing at God. That's where we look in verse 4. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after. This singleness of purpose. One thing. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. One thing, if we were writing verse 4, we would have probably written it differently. We would have said, one thing I ask of the Lord and that I will seek. And that's get me out of here. Um, and and we, we, we would just be crying out for deliverance. Now, David is praying for deliverance, as we'll see. He does want relief. He does want rescue. But, but this is crucial. David realizes that the only deliverance that, that truly matters comes from drawing near to the presence of God temple the sanctuary the the tabernacle and being just caught up with god's beauty that's what he's not just rescuing from it's being rescued to god and and so he's not just praying for an escape from his troubles he's praying for this ongoing experience of god himself both in in the time of his trouble and forever after this is what he wants he wants to gaze at god and behold him that's what makes the temple so attractive that's why he wants to remain there he wants and 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 so he he wants his fear to drive him to this deeper deeper knowledge of god himself and 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 beholding his beauty it leads him to get caught up again in the very person of god that's what we're seeing. And so verse 5, he says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. And he will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. See, so the, the best way to face our fears, to weather our storms that come in life, is just this preoccupation with God himself. I mean, when, the, when, when I've faced those trials the, the worst, it's usually I have just this small view of God in my life. And, and when, in counseling others, this is, one of the, this is one of the things you begin to see is people that are just cannot, cannot seem to get traction in their life with trials, however big or small they may be, they, it's just, just totally sweeping them away. You get a, you, as you begin to ask questions, since the, their, their view of God is so small, just study God, be enamored with Him, gaze at Him, see how big God is. Take a walk outside and see His creation. He's, he's so big. Look at the stars at night. He's glorious. Study the scripture. Be, read those passages in Isaiah 40, 40, 40 and following there, and, and Job, and just, just be in awe of the grandeur of God. His beauty, His glory, His greatness, His goodness. And so this is what David's saying. This is the one thing I ask. 
It's, it's, it is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, or, or your translation may say, to meditate upon the beauty of God. Do you meditate upon the Lord? Are you thinking deeply and often about just the person of God? I mean, this, this is theology is not it's not just academic. It's it's we want to know God, and God has revealed much about Himself, and we, there's there's this endless store of of riches and just studying the person of God and even then we can exhaust all we can spend our whole lives studying the person of God and we're just scratching the surface we'll have all eternity to know more and more of God but David just says I I just this is the one thing I want to just behold you God and meditate upon you rest of my life um I just think of I was just thinking examples of this but Jonathan Edwards comes to mind maybe more than anybody else and terms of church history of, of someone who was just enamored with God. And if you've read anything of Edwards, he's just, he's, he's always just, just, just greatness. And the glory of God is just right in front of Edwards' face, it seems. And he talks, in Ian Murray's biography of Jonathan Edwards, talks about his conversion experience. And he quotes Jonathan Edwards in his own words, talking about, just right after his conversion, he said, the first instant, the instance that I remember of that sort of inward sweet delight in God and divine things that I have lived much in since was on reading those words. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That's First Timothy 1.17. He says, as I read the words, there came into my soul and was and was as as and was, as it were, diffused through it a sense of the glory of the divine being. A new sense, quite different from anything I had experienced before. Never any words of Scripture seemed to me as these words did. I, though with myself, how excellent... I, I, I thought with myself how excellent a being that was and how happy I should be if I might enjoy that God and be wrapped up in Him in heaven and be as it were, swallowed up with him forever. And this is this is what this is this is what David is describing and, and Jonathan Edwards is it's just being caught up in the beauty and the wonder of God. That's so important in times of trials that we our tendency is to just turn in on ourselves. We look at ourselves and we just wallow in our in our pain and our suffering. And that's not to minimize the reality and the, the depth of, of of that suffering, but but we've got to We've got to cast our gaze upon the Lord. That's where the hope is. That's where the relief comes. It's in the greatness and the, and the goodness of God. The beauty of God. And Murray notes, he talks about this, before Edwards was converted, he was terrified of thunderstorms. I mean, this real phobia of, of thunderstorms. And, and some of you may be able to relate to, to that, or you could from even from childhood, but... But afterwards, after he was converted and after he just became overwhelmed with the, the, the beauty of God, he talks about being delighted in them and being entertained by them. And he could hear God's voice, as it were, through the thunder and the lightning. And it t- so he says that it, they led him to sweet contemplations of my great and glorious God. That's, uh, but that's you see how... This largeness of God as we begin to gaze upon Him and as we begin to, to, to draw near to God like that, that calms those fears that we have. And, and Edward saw this. So, so we'll, we will overcome our fears. We will face 
and, and, and weather storms of life to the extent that we're captivated by God and His greatness and His beauty. That's what I, that's what I want to see. But this psalm isn't, as I said, it's not written by, from the ivory tower, it's not written by a man who's got his head in the clouds. He's just kind of in la-la land, theologically speaking, or just kind of out of touch with the real world. He's just a dreamer, David, playing his, you know, harp over there. And he's an artsy guy, and yeah, whatever, but he doesn't really get the stuff of life. No, that's not it at all. Um, David is, there's a hostile army encamped around him. People are trying to take his life. They know that they'll, they'll, they'll live. If, if the person that kills David is going to have a good life ahead of them. Uh, and, and so there, was in, there were incentives to, to do away with David. And he is, he's in a difficult, dark circumstance. And, and as I said the, earlier, the, the, the rough seas of life like this, like what David's in, they're not stilled instantly though jesus obviously had that power to do that in a very physical sense but but our hearts even in the midst of the storm our hearts can remain still before the lord and in the lord and that's what we see in david and so so what we find uh again the the fear comes in david's life and it and he and there's confidence and yet it doesn't go away and it's back and so he has to redirect his focus on the Lord in prayer. He has to reaffirm his faith in the Lord. And that's what we see in the remainder of the psalm. So third, seek shelter in the Lord by deliberately redirecting your focus on the Lord through heartfelt prayer. That's a mouthful, I know. But I just note a couple of things. I think there's seven or so things about prayer in the storm. And I'll just hit these quickly. First, from verse 7, prayer in the storm flows out of an awareness of our need. It's it. We're, we are totally dependent upon the Lord, but we, we are often, we act at least, ignorant of the extent of our neediness before God. And, and David, though, he's, 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 he, there's this awareness of need. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. God, if you don't come through right now, I am doomed. And, and God is gracious to bring us into those places in our life. It's God's grace to, to use trials in our life to bring us to that place where we just feel our neediness for God. It's a song we sang that Rachel led us in this morning, Oceans. And I, that, that bridge of that song, I think, is, is so is such a, a great way of expressing that, is that God, lead me to the place where my trust is without borders, where my, where my feet my, my, uh, take me deeper than my feet can wander. Just take me to where I can't make it without you, God. That's a tough thing to really pray and to say, but this is, God does it. He's gracious to do that. Second, prayer in the storm is rooted in God's mercy. He says, be gracious to me and answer me. He doesn't say answer me because I'm such a good person, because I deserve this so much. No, it's all, it's, it's God's grace. It's his mercy alone. Um, Third, prayer in the storm expects answers. He, he says, be gracious and answer me. That sounds obvious, but often we pray and we don't really expect uh, answer. I, mean, I think we're, we're guilty of that, especially when the answer is delayed maybe for years. And we just we really just don't think that it can happen or God will answer. Um, but even as we're talking about the series and praying for opportunities and with, with with those around us that God has put in our lives, just ex- pray again, as we've said, pray expectantly with your eyes wide opening, looking for God's God's answers to your prayers. And He's going to be gracious to do that for disciple-making opportunities. Um, I was just thinking of, about that in my, 
there, for, this is true for everyone. Somebody was praying and laboring hard in prayer for us before we were converted. I don't doubt that at all. Parents, whether it's parents, grandparents, neighbors, somebody was no doubt praying for our conversion and however long that may have been. And, um, and so God was gracious to answer their prayers and he will be gracious to answer ours. And we seem to, we need to look for, expect him to answer. We should be surprised, not if the Lord answers prayer, but if he doesn't answer prayer, if he delays. And, and so, uh, fourth, I think prayer in, in the storm is a response to God. Verse eight, he says, you have said, and the Hebrew year is a little ambiguous, but it's just it's God's extending this invitation for David to seek his face and David's responding to it. He says, if you said you've said, seek my face, my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek and God graciously invites us to to draw near to him with confidence to his throne of grace, as Hebrews right of Hebrews says, and so that, that we can receive help and grace and mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And that's what God is doing and David is realizing that. Uh, faith prayer in the storm is about seeking God himself, not just answers. So it, it's, it's, we're expecting answers, we're looking for answers, but it, but ultimately prayer involves more than that. It's, it's bringing, it's not just bringing our shopping list to God. It's, it's, it's we want God. We're looking to him, the giver, not just the gifts that he gives. And so he says, your face, Lord, do I seek? Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O Lord. You have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. Now, there's this awareness of a sinfulness before a holy God, before the face of God. But I think the, the crux of it is he just wants, he's seeking God. He wants nothing to stand in the way before him and God. And, and if his sin is there, then remove it, Lord. Cast, cast me not because of it. And then prayer is in the storm is always available. Uh, verse 10, for my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Now, I, I'm inclined to think that this is probably more hypothetical here. I think he's just saying if the, if the closest of human relationships, it, it, David's parents in a sense, I don't think they'd actually abandon him. We don't have any record of that. But he's saying those, even if those most basic earthly relationships fail, God is... God is guaranteed. He will not leave. He will. He has access to God who will take him and will defend him. And I think that's what he's saying. Nothing can cut us off from prayer as our link to our loving Father. And then finally, prayer in the storm is linked with our obedience. So there's this plea, Lord, teach me your way. Lead me on a path, on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have arisen against me. They breathe out violence. He's, he's aware that when trials come, particularly if it's because of other people, which most often, which often it is, enemies, evildoers in David's case, armies encamped against him, wanting his head, it's easy for us to get out of line when we're under attack. We, we want retaliation, we want revenge, and, and we want to react. This is where we were, Psalm 26 last week. How do you act right when you're wronged? And and I think this is what David is saying, Lord, teach me your way. I you know, level path. I wanna I wanna walk in your ways. And and I think this is what he's what he's playing for. And so he's a teachable heart, willing to do whatever the Lord shows him. And and so we need that and we when we go to the Lord. Alright, last thing. We've got to finish and we wanna leave plenty of time to pray. Seek shelter in the Lord by continually reaffirming your faith in him. And again, 
the, the, verse 13, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, this is a, the Hebrew construction here. We call it an ellipsis. There's this kind of incomplete thought. And we're either, either, the song, either David has gotten so caught up in kind of the emotion of it that he just doesn't finish, this, finish his thought or finish his sentence. Or probably more likely, it, it's assumed. We, we fill in the blank with what we know to be obvious. So the ESV kind of smooths a little bit of that out. But... Um, this is this may be a, a translation that would kind of preserve that more abrupt effect that I think is intended. It could be something like this. Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and then you fill in the blank, it would be something like, I would have been doomed. I mean, I, no hope. John Calvin, I think, he's in commenting on this verse he, i think he's right on he says had i had i not relied on the promise of god and been assuredly persuaded that he would safely preserve me and had i not continued firm in this persuasion i would have utterly perished there was no other remedy yeah, that's a good good sense of this verse 14 finally wait for the lord be strong let your heart take courage wait for the lord again we Psalm 25 a few weeks ago, that waiting on the Lord. Eric did a good job working this out. But the Hebrew verbs there, verse 14, they're all singular. And he's, he's, he's talking, he's basically talking to himself. He's saying, David, wait for the Lord. Wait, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Um, and, and in times of crisis, in times of, 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 of severe trial, you have to do that self-talk, reaffirm the goodness of God and, 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 and your own need to keep waiting on the Lord. And, and waiting, as Eric reminded us, is hard. And I think there's no accident that he's connecting waiting on the Lord with this be strong, take courage. It's not, it's not an easy thing to do to wait on God because when we're waiting... Um, um, oh, when we're waiting on the things of, when we're waiting on the Lord to act, to, to act, we're waiting on something that we can't see. I mean, we got a spirit, and we, 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 but we have to wait. We have to trust, and and we're waiting for these divine realities to to take place and and to to show up. And so, this isn't just passive stoicism; it's an active mental attitude. And this, I think, what David's reflecting says, "I believe." I believe that God is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11.6. And he's saying, be strong, courageous, wait on the Lord. So when the storms of life are raging, we seek shelter in the Lord. And as I said in the beginning, this isn't just, this is not a formula, it's a way of life. If God gave us a formula, then we would, we would forget God until the next crisis. We could just do our little checklist and we would need God. But he hasn't given us this. Instead of he's given us himself. He's the shelter. It's the confidence is in him. He is our salvation. He's our light. He's our stronghold. And so we need to continually seek shelter in him. We go back to the scene and picture that image of that guy standing on the, on the edge of the lighthouse. Well, the rest of the story is that at the, as a, at the moment he steps out, he... He's looking for the helicopter and he just senses this wave looming large behind him and the noise and everything else, I'm sure. And he just makes a split-second decision to run back into that tower. 
and he's saved. If not, they said he was, they would have had no chance. And he was interviewed afterwards. said, if I had been a little further away from the door, I would not have made it back into the tower, and I would be dead today. Um, and so I, I just think that's instructive. There's safety in the shelter of God, the Most High. God himself is the tower. It's not a formula. That's not our hope. It's God. He's, he's our shelter. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, Solomon says. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Um, well, I tell you, let's, let's go right to prayer. Uh, we won't sing tonight. Um, and let's, let's take time to pray. Pray for God to give you courage and maybe those in your life. Courage in the face of fear uh, to serve Him. got Devin, we've got, you know, opportunities to share this with others, and um, we have other people in our body, and I won't go through all those, some of these you know, and, and use this to pray, pray for them, and pray for yourself, confess it to God if you're afraid, God, when I'm afraid, Lord, I trust you, uh, that's assuming that there are those times in life when we're afraid, uh, that we are afraid, uh, pray for the Lord to, to, to just make his presence sweeter to you. Um, that you would you would gaze upon God, meditate upon His beauty, um, thank Him for being the God of your salvation. That's something certainly. Just gratitude to God for being our deliverance, our salvation. And ask Him to teach you His way. Ask Him to lead to to lead you in His path. 